Welcome to Backsliding to Glory, a progressive Christian podcast and community. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Backsliding to Glory. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we are Backsliding to Glory. Uh, and now you're you're famous, Megan. You're Twitter famous. <laughs> yeah, there's an article. I, I um, The BBC quoted me, so I'm going to laminate that and use it to win arguments forever. That's I good. I honestly like... Okay, so first of all, and I know I know that we, we should explain to people, because if nobody has ever had, I've never had anything to the level of this, but I've had moments where suddenly a portion of Twitter that has never known of my existence before notices me for a day or two, and that is an incredibly unwelcome thing most of the time, because what, yeah. you, what happens is you basically can't use that service anymore in the way that you've used it in the past, Right. Right. <laughs> so how right. how bad has the negative reaction been? Because anytime you anytime you get noticed, the trolls come out. Right. Well, I feel like we should offer some context. Yeah, that's here. a good, that's a very good point. We talked about I mean, this. Uh, probably uh, most people who are listening is are. So here's here's what happened. So we we did we talked about it two episodes ago, I think. Yeah. Right. Or was yeah. it last? Yeah, before whatever. Easter, before yeah. Sunday. So there was a string of arsons. A guy burned down three black churches in South Louisiana. Um, I found out about it after the second church had burned, tried to raise the the red flag. Uh, and then just a, a, the the second and third church burned just a couple days from each other. So so then the third church burned, and it was like, okay, pay attention. This is a big deal. It's a big, big deal that somebody is burning black churches in the South is not okay. So I was shouting about it on Twitter for a couple of weeks. We talked about it on our podcast and you know, there was some interest. There were some news articles written. Um, it did make the national news a bit fleetingly as a second page story. And then Notre Dame caught on fire. I was actually in a church meeting because my church has a mission partner in Cuba, uh, another Presbyterian church, and we are going down there in a month to help them install a water filtration system. So anyway, uh, I was in a meeting about that, and I got out of the meeting and looked at my phone and looked at Twitter, and I saw a couple of people saying like, oh, this is so sad. Notre Dame was was so important to me. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And of course, my first thought, because it's 2019, was like, oh my God, somebody blew up Notre Dame. But that was not the case, but it was extremely on fire when I saw this. And I was heartbroken. I love Notre Dame. I love Paris. I've been there a half dozen times. Um, I was just there in November. I love that place. And I have very much felt the presence of living God in that church. It is an incredibly important place. There is something, I know that church is not a building, it is people, but there is something very precious about a place where thousands and thousands and thousands of people have prayed over thousands and thousands of years. It holds a presence. So I was super sad. And like many people, you know, I was mourning on Twitter. And then uh, a couple hours later, suddenly I start seeing like, oh, we're, we're, I'm giving, does anyone know a GoFundMe for Notre Dame? And I was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. Wait a minute. You guys get that they're like, you know, 
there's not going to be a problem raising money here. And so this is what I posted. My heart is broken over the loss of Notre Dame. It was still on fire at this point, and it turned out to not be a total loss. So, But that's what I said. So my heart is broken over the loss of Notre Dame. The Catholic Church is also one of the world's wealthiest entities. If you are going to donate money to rebuild a church this week, I implore you to make it the black churches in St. Landry Parish. And I posted a link to their GoFundMe. And the thread went on. I said, I realize there's weird ownership stuff over the cathedral and whatnot. And I won't argue that it's relative architectural importance is far greater. But these three churches also bear the weight of history and need your help more. The Opelousas Massacre took place in 1868. At least 300 black folks were murdered for attempting to register to vote. Some Some estimates put it higher. In 1870, just two years later, the 7th District Missionary Baptist Association was formed in the same area. There are people buried in the churchyards who were born enslaved. These are historical properties by any measure. I'm not saying this to minimize any suffering. Loss is loss and it all hurts. But if you happen to be reading this, remember that famous history isn't the only history. Imagine the courage it took to build and fill a black house of worship in postbellum rural Louisiana and now. And then I posted a backgrounder on the Opelousas Massacre, since the racist in my mentions seem to think the bad things only happen to rightfully beloved buildings. If you've never heard of the Opelousas Massacre but can name at least one European cathedral other than Notre Dame, well, that's what happens when some people's history is considered more important than others. And again, I think Notre Dame is a profoundly important place. Stones reaching to the sky for millennia in a place of holiness so profound that it's palpable, that stirs my heart. It also stirs my heart to think about people a decade after hundreds of their small town neighbors were massacred building St. Mary Baptist Church. St. Mary Baptist and Notre Dame de Paris have the same woman as their namesake, of course, both built primarily by people who had nothing. Some had funds and blessings provided by their wealthy neighbors to do the building. Some had neither, but built anyway. Both monuments to God and the woman who carried God's fragile human form, all just beloved humans. Anyway, no one's going to forget about the cathedral at the heart of Paris, and no one should, but these little churches deserve a corner of our memory, too. And then a few more just admonitions to donate, donate, donate. And then it did. It happened. It was beautifully put. It was beautifully put. You laid out the entire argument really well, and and the, the, the leading tweet, which got so many you know negative pushbacks from people, well, one's not better than the other. You... <laughs> lay that out very specifically in your follow-up thread and you you make it clear you're not i'm not saying that one is more deserving than the other or that nobody right. should be worried about notre dame and its restoration you are simply pointing out that the resources are allocated and will be allocated so obviously in a way slanted tremendously in the favor of the cathedral as you mentioned in the middle of right. downtown paris nobody right. is going to forget that it needs restoration right. until it is finished the right. the french government and has I was promised right. multi a billion dollars yeah, multi a billion uh, dollars multi billion dollar corporations from around the, i saw today disney disney donated five million dollars to notre right. dame Right. Many other corporations are going to step up and do the exact same thing. Why? Because it is a national opportunity, an international opportunity for them to show their largesse and to be thought of positively by Catholics and by Christian adherents and by faith adherents generally around the world. Lots of people and have a fondness for Notre Dame. adherents and medieval history. I mean, it's, you know. Yes, exactly. Precisely. Totally. Anyone who feels fondness for the Western, for the idea of Western civilization probably will be happy that Notre Dame is restored. Yes. <laughs> yes. But... Most people do not have any sort of connection like that, even as you pointed out, even the people in the region 
Many right? of them have no compassion or consideration or memory of the importance of these buildings. And that was your point. And, and thankfully, many other people saw it, felt it, and responded to it. Yes. What a cascade of events. That, honestly, as someone standing from the outside, it was amazing to watch this roll. Like, all yeah. of a sudden, people that that I know, but that don't know you, and that have never listened to this podcast, and that won't listen to this podcast, were sharing <laughs> a screenshot of your tweet on Facebook from some group that I'm not affiliated with. And I'm like, well, that's right. interesting. <laughs> Look at that. And like yeah. the first three times I saw it happen, I commented on it. I'm like, hey, I know Megan. She, she and I host a podcast together. You you should check it out sometime. And then like the 15th time it happened, I just stopped. <laughs> I stopped referencing it at all <laughs> just, and just let it wash over me. <laughs> um, the first day people started tagging me in things like, oh, and, and some people didn't get it. They were like, how do you know my friend Megan Romer? And it was like, oh, they don't. They were just posting a thing that they saw that was memefied, a memefied tweet. Um, they don't know me. We don't know each other. And I like, started to try to explain this to people because <laughs> I'm me and I'm like a natural teacher. And I'm like, I must teach. I must teach the people how the internet works. Well, you see, the internet um, is a series of tubes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I, uh, it, it, I gave up pretty quick. I gave up largely because, I mean, literally, I just had to turn my phone off it's a you know the, it was draining my battery i had to turn all my notifications off the original tweet in the thread was shared some upward of forty thousand times which is a lot i mean i've had tweets that i would have called viral before like maybe they did a thousand or you know 500 never forty thousand. i mean you don't even that's not even that's that's an abnormally viral tweet that's mega viral that's up there with like the dude who got his chicken nugs from wendy's <laughs> <laughs> well, but i'm so glad like it's three congregations this made- three congregations in in louisiana now will get their chicken nugs <laughs> exactly. so they got their rts for their chicken nugs um how so- beautiful that it happened i mean we're we're going to be releasing this on easter sunday we're recording this thursday morning but how beautiful that it happened easter week yeah i mean done. i think I, I posted something last night just about uh, after it happened and I was like sitting there in tears. I don't even cry and I was crying. Just it's just so amazing. I posted something about how, you know, Easter week Easter week means the saddest it's the saddest time. It's the time where we sort of look at the most brutal kind of injustice and and pain and heartbreak, but it also is a time of resurrection. And so that's where we are. So how awesome! Let's. I want to ask you a couple of specific questions. First of all, you were on TV. We we mentioned you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we mentioned this mm-hmm. earlier. KATC, and the link mm-hmm. is in the show notes if you want to go and and check that story out. You mentioned when you posted it on Facebook, I think, that the majority of the story was not about you; that it was about the churches, and that that was something that that you would have insisted on. Was there pushback on that? Did they want to make it about the viral tweet? And you were like, no, we're going to talk about the churches. (laughs) I said no to at least one national interview because the journalist, well, the journalist said, hey, we want to interview you about about this tweet in these churches. And I I said, you know, okay, it's really important to me that the churches remain centered um, because that's the point here are you going to be talking with anybody from the church? And then it was, no, we're really, we kind of want to talk about like the viral virality of the tweet. And yeah. And I was like, yeah, 
no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Talk to Yashar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know if he said yes to it. I doubt he did either. Well, um, Yashar Ali point... is a is a freelance journalist who's on Twitter, and he wrote his own tweet. That tweet also got, and he really is a much more visible person on Twitter than I am, and and really got the attention of some big names. And that's when the when I when I first tweeted within the next few hours, the the funds went up by about forty thousand, and then Yashar tweeted, and then suddenly it was like climbing extremely rapidly and and went to 1.8 million in a matter of a day and a half or something well and to me i think you guys did a wonderful job of uh, amplifying each other's signals right like you had you had worded it in a way that he had not and i think that uh, whether right. he saw your right. when when it, when he saw your thread or interacted with your content he shared that as well um, and, and I think that the combination of, well, I mean, okay, so I come from the radio world when you're sending out a message to people, whether that's a message of generosity or it's a message of commercialism, the, the first time you mention it isn't, you're not expecting action, right? You're, you're layering right. the right. info right. in so that when right. people are ready to take an action, they keep you top of mind. Right. And that's what I think the combination of those things did. And then, it, and then it, you had celebrity responses i mean for goodness sake yes hillary clinton you know Secretary yeah, clinton yeah yeah posted yeah. about this and literally in in similar phrasing to the way that you did it you know like she yeah. sort of put the so, two in context and yeah i was accused uh pretty heavily of being anti-catholic in my <laughs> phrasing i do not consider myself anti-catholic i don't think that it's a particularly scandalous thing to say that the Ch catholic church is well resourced a lot of people argue the Catholic Church isn't liquid. It isn't, and it's like, okay, well, the Catholic Church is the Catholic people, and there are like a billion of them, and a bunch of them are pretty rich. So, okay, <laughs> y'all, the Catholic Church can scratch up money and did. And a lot of people, the amount of people in my mention saying, well, actually, <laughs> the, the Catholic Church doesn't own Notre Dame. The French government does. And it's like, oh, well, in that case, the Catholic Church is probably off the hook for it. But no. The Catholic Church is the Roman Catholic Church has a like a sole proprietor lease type situation where they are responsible for the upkeep theoretically and it's been a whole thing it's been a whole thing whether the French government and the Roman Catholic Church have been bickering back and forth for years about who has to do these very necessary repairs and the church was kind of starting to fall apart and that's why it is was currently undergoing repairs which is apparently I think the source of the fire somehow had something to do with the repairs. So, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and stand by that one. I am not anti-Catholic. I do think the Catholic church is well-resourced that I don't think that's a bad thing. The Catholic church is also a tremendous provider of charity. It's I'm not, I'm not saying the Catholic church is bad. I'm also not saying that the Catholic church shouldn't spend some of its money on architectural restoration. Why not? They own some of the most beautiful and important buildings in the world. That's awesome. But well, and, and those said, buildings are and, those buildings are assets and uh, attractions for their faith and continued right. uh, expansion of of their religion. I mean, honest, totally. honest to goodness, many uh, people who convert to uh, the Catholic faith from Protestantism. I, I've talked to them. Many of them do so. One of the reasons they're attracted to it in the first place is the high liturgy and the uh, pageantry of the buildings and the services themselves. Like Absolutely. That, that is one of the draws. So, 
Yeah, I find be it super appealing. I love yeah, I that high church feeling. I love when the incense is swinging and the bells are ringing. I love it. I think it's really lovely. It is not something that I feel needs to be part of my church service, and I have some theological qualms, but I completely understand why and how the liturgy and the architecture itself and the art and just like the sort of way that the stories are told on the walls for, you know, pre-literate people. Oh, it's just impressive. So none of this is me not liking that element of, of uh, Roman Catholicity. No, I, I, you and I, neither one of us are Catholic. We don't come from Catholic backgrounds, but we are very, very much pro-Catholicism in general, I think. And, and we've got, mm-hmm. both of us have very many friends that are Catholics and we yes. hold those friends in, in high regard and we hold their faith in high regard. We yes. also, and we've talked about this on the show specifically, we understand and appreciate our descendants from the Catholic Church. Our own faith traditions come from the Catholic Church. And, and yeah. I, you know, I come from a Baptist background and the Baptists, a lot of them will tell you, oh no, it's we're we're the real <laughs> early church. We, we, we're not Protestants. We come from a, a mm. pre-Catholic mm-hmm. tradition, et cetera, et cetera. That's nonsense, my friend. There uh, is no they, they, yeah, I mean, they took some <laughs> of the traditions from the early church and adapted them to modern mm-hmm. times perhaps. But like, w- you know, we know of... Christ and the Christian church because of the Catholic church. Yes, I, that's we do. like, we do. And, and I mean, I, you can't separate the two. It organized within a generation into, I mean, you can draw an absolute direct line. Sure. In the first like 20 years of the church, there were three separate faith communities and the Roman community won. Sure. But nobody's really like, <laughs> nobody's really like being a Palestinian uh, circa AD 20 Christian. No, they're not. That's not, that's not the theology we're following. It's not, we're not, it's not a thing. You're, I mean, you're, the Baptists aren't doing that any more than the Catholics are. No, no. Your local journey church that meets in the movie theater is not descended from Palestinian <laughs> right. proto-Christians. Okay. Right. Um, so, but, but I, but I, so yes, there, there's no anti-Catholic bias here. And I hope, I hope that is, um, uh, I hope that is evident for anyone who actually takes the time to get to know you or, or me or listens to this show specifically. But that, that was a big part of your your negative mentions, I know, was that the largest part was sort of like a, a Catholic um, defense. There was a lot of that. There was also a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, well, why not both? Don't tell me what to be sad about. Don't tell me what. To, uh, oh my gosh, y'all! If you are interpreting these sorts of things as a personal attack, that's like, on you, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> go ahead and just don't. <laughs> Just, just don't. Uh, yeah, that that was a a lot there. So, and and from people who are you know ostensibly sort of progressive people, I saw a lot of that. Um, a lot of people with with like a blue wave symbol in their in their uh, Twitter handle, and it's just okay. I, As I say often, with a resistance like this, who needs enemies? So I I'm, I made a joke in response to you. I can't remember what the uh, the first comment was, but my joke back to you was Becky sure does love her some Paris, don't she? <laughs> and 
I like I have I did think of because I you said it you love Paris you love Notre Dame specifically I love Paris I've only I've only been once I've only gotten to visit Paris once I was there for about four days uh in I don't know it was like 12 years ago now I, I sent a photo of me and my best friend standing in front of Notre Dame staring up at it to him the other day and he was like god we were such youngsters it was all that sleeping in train stations that ruined our backs though that's what's wrong with us um we we did like this month long trip across Europe. It was awesome, and Paris. We spent um, yeah, I think four or five days there. We had an amazing time, and I do hold Paris in high regard as as part of the course of human history and and Western civilization specifically. I do understand the architectural importance of that building specifically. I understand the literary significance of that building. I mean, I think I totally. again like I think of the Hunchback and Hugo. You know, yeah. So I get it. It it means a lot to a lot of people, but I do wonder, like, what is this, what is this love of whiteness and, and why, yeah. why yeah. don't I have it? Why don't you and I have it quite so strongly? <laughs> it's so weird. And, and, and there were certainly racists and, and also just some point missers in, well, how can you compare Notre Dame to a church that isn't as famous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. All right. Yes. Uh, because why do you think it's not as famous? And, and I tried to like sort of do it Socratically with a lot of people. Okay. So why do you think it's not as famous? Do you think that that could perhaps be a problem? <laughs> do you think, I mean, and I'm not even going to argue that, that these churches in particular, you know, there, there are, uh, black Southern churches that are more architecturally, you know, mother Emmanuel is more architecturally significant. The sort of big sort of, they aren't cathedrals because that's not, you know, there are a lot of different denominations of, of black Christianity um, or of historically black Christianity. Um, and none of them have a, have a cathedral system, uh, an Episcopalian lowercase E Episcopalian system. But there are important big churches, and these three are small churches. They are small, small rural churches. I can't say the word r- rural; it's like an upstate New York problem. The, we can't. The we say the rural. <laughs> we say our R's too hard, and so we can't say rural. I also can't say the word of the place where you make beer. <laughs> A brewery. Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> this is see. This is fascinating to me. You you put you you pointed out my, the fact that I say pin and pin and they're the same word, uh, and and I like that you can't say your R's. I can say brewery. I can separate all of the letters there. The problem is I say my R's too well. They're like so rhotic. but I can't. I like get so far into the R that I can't get back out of the R. Brewery. All right. So anyway, where was I going with this? Um, <laughs> to the place where they make beer. To the place where they make beer. Uh, but the point is, rural juror, the rural juror. I know sometimes people name their daughter Aurora, which <laughs> is a lovely name on paper. But when I say it, I'm like, oh, your daughter Aurora. <laughs> Good job naming her that. Like that. <laughs> Don't name your kid Aurora in upstate <laughs> So the point is that, that you know, I, I think we can look at sort of a proportional response. These are very important churches to the people in these communities. Also, I think sort of the black rural church in the South is as a sort of wider entity, which is going to include several different denominations and non-denominational sort of things, is something that is has been lost 
in Christianity, uh, like when we look at it as an overarching thing, progressive Christians often claim themselves to be progressive, but don't have any connection with the original progressive church in America, the original liberation church in America, which is the black Southern church. And I don't really remember where I was going with this. Anyway, I'm just trying to say that the history matters. It matters. And it, it, and it's okay that they don't need to raise a billion dollars. They need to raise $2 million, which will build, that'll build three extremely nice community center churches in St. Landry Parish, which desperately needs them. That will serve dozens and dozens and dozens yeah. of families. Yeah. And which means hundreds of individuals will be served yeah. on a weekly basis in my- in a myriad of ways through these three locations. Exactly. Let me let me pivot slightly there on that point. The disconnection between progressive Christianity or a lot of progressive Christianity as it's organized currently and as you put it so well, the original progressive church, which is the American African American church. Oh, I saw this a lot in your mentions too. Where what is their stance on the LGBTQ population? Mm-hmm. What what is these churches' stance on the LGBTQ population? First of all, you and I didn't mention that last time at all. And right. why didn't we? Why wasn't it an issue for me? You I saw you replying several times. I'm not sure. I would imagine yeah, that they know. sit somewhere between you know, they, they're probably left of the SBC and probably slightly right of most mainline Protestant evangelical yep. denominations. Yep. That's my guess. And you should ask the congregations themselves if it's something that concerns you. And that's exactly how I felt about it, too. Why? Because I would have a problem supporting my local church if they were, I thought, I thought negatively uh, affecting the LGBTQ population. So why don't I question that as I try to help this fundraiser for these churches? My point is, I might not attend those churches because I disagree with them theologically on this question, perhaps, but that doesn't change the fact that these faith adherents need a place of worship mm-hmm. and they were in need that's the way that i felt about it and and the fact that we might disagree theologically on a particular question even drastically so did not mm-hmm. affect my ability to help them or feel for them in this way and to serve their need in this way. And I, that would be the same message that I would tell a church or an individual Christian who doesn't feel affirming for the LGBTQ population, but also wants to be a good person to their neighbor. Mm-hmm. I would say you can serve them in a myriad of ways without congregating with them if that's the way that you want to be. If you want your church to not have gay people in it, that's fine for you. You can serve them as community members, as your neighbor, as your as your friend and fellow human being in different ways. And so that that is exactly my stance on this. I don't know where you sit on it. I do know that for many who's they put progressive before Christian in mm-hmm. their identities, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. this is an issue for them. And I understand it. Mm-hmm. I do understand it on their part. Yeah. And I don't begrudge anybody who is a, a person of the LGBTQ community who's like, you know, I've been harmed by the church and I'm not going to participate in fine. That's absolutely Amen. no judgment from me at all. And I think a lot of black gay Christians have felt harmed in this way and over time. And the reality is that you are seeing more, more theological movement in the black church than I think a lot of people realize and, and the different denominations differently, like just like with the white denominations and church by church in some cases. But I think that, you know, I, I think it, sort of dovetails somewhat with what we were talking about with the UMC and the the National Conference 
voting to, I don't, I don't remember how to phrase it. It's not your book of order. That's us. The book of that's discipline. The, so, so we the maintained the book of disciplines language as it currently right. exists, which says that, um, same sex attraction is non-compatible with Christian life effectively. Right. And there was a lot of, a lot of the people voting against voting to maintain that the sort of anti LGBTQ stance was heavily coming from African churches. Now, that became a point of blame. And you saw a lot of like, well, I wish we'd just cut the African church off. But what we don't take sort of into account is the fact that all of that theology is a vestige of sort of white supremacist theology, this sort of patriarchal theology. Like, we did this. <laughs> we put this out there. First of all, we haven't gotten it control under control among our own white church communities it's, you know, I don't know. It's just complicated. And I absolutely believe that the correct path forward is full affirmation of all identities, expressions, and so on. I um, a thousand percent agree with that. However, I also I, believe yeah. that, that it's going to take some people different times to get there. Uh, some people are never going to get there. Making space in our own communities for people who need a space is really important. Also, y'all, I promise that the, and I, I, I don't even know how to say this without sort of coming across as, as offensive or even colonialistic, but I promise that not participating in communion with black churches who are of a more conservative theology is not going to pull them forward to a more progressive theology. That ain't going to work. No, I and and I understand the uh, difficulty of trying to parse that language without. Yeah, because you here's the other thing too. So many, especially in the UMC, you talked about the UMC issue with the African uh, churches. There are so many people on both sides, the right and the left, that speak so condescendingly about those churches and congregations as if they have no autonomy or no ability to to parse theological considerations on their own right. uh right. and it is disgusting to me from either side frankly mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and and you're right if you look around the world there are many parts of the the quote unquote developing world that have tossed off regulations against uh, homosexuality or uh, same-sex marriage and 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 other such restrictions after colonialism was sort of removed, after the, the shackles mm -hmm. of colonialism mm -hmm. was removed mm -hmm. from them, or at least ostensibly. And we've talked mm -hmm. about we're not in a post-colonial world. Nobody is yet. But mm -hmm. we're working towards it. There are parts of the mm -hmm. globe that are finding new freedom and new independence even now. And those places regularly are returning to their original understanding of the acceptance of different sexualities and mm -hmm. gender, period, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that are pre, as you said, pre-white ideas, pre-European ideas. Yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. This is sort of a problem of our own construction. The other thing yeah. is, and this is something that I don't think, especially in the American church, we deal with at all, the same theological strain that approved of and reinforced slavery has been maintained into the modern era to reinforce the patriarchy specifically and and the uh, disallowing of um, women ministers and women leaders, but also 
for this question to further reinforce traditional, quote unquote, traditional gender roles and, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, traditional heterosexual uh, marriage only. And mm-hmm. I think that we don't wrestle with that at all because the American church or large swaths of it anyway, isn't ready to get rid of the theology that allowed and approved of slavery yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I don't know that I think uh, that there's a denomination that's really done a proper full reckoning. Um, you know, other than, you know, I think, you know, the Quakers are off the hook because they were against slavery in the first place. Though the Quakers there were are some, off the hook for some, all of it. You, Grandma is safe. Well, you <laughs> know what? The Quakers are off the hook for all of it, except for the Quakers. I, I feel like I'm allowed to say this because I, I have Quaker connections. Quakers also have caused some problems, including the Quakers led the abolition, or the, uh, the uh, Prohibition What's it called? Movement? Not drinking. Prohibition. Thank you. <laughs> God. You're Prohibition. too socially activist. <laughs> yeah. Which, now I will say that Prohibition was well intended because the reason prohibition came about it was it was sort of proto-feminists largely from the quaker church who saw very clearly that alcohol made men beat their wives and children which it does to this day alcohol is very irresponsibly used and it is a fuel for abuse now making it illegal clearly didn't do anything (laughs) of use um but i you know, I think probably we could stand to have some better talks about alcohol and how it makes us here. You know, in interestingly, if we if they hadn't actually gone for prohibition, and I think that I I, I watched a um the PBS uh, Ken Burns documentary on prohibition not too long ago. Actually, huh? there were some uh, movement. Uh, some of the early parts of the movement were not for full uh, criminalization. They were uh-huh. for restriction, uh, for regulation, and for a massive PR movement, basically, to make clear the dangers and evils of alcohol. And it reminded me a lot of what has happened in the modern era with smoking and even mm. now with vaping, right? Like there is this ongoing PR thing, especially to young people, to make clear to them the dangers. And then as a society, we've basically said you can't do it in any public space now. I mean, even in Louisiana, uh, Rustin, Rustin just the other day, my my little small town here, uh, we I don't think it's in effect yet. I don't think it goes into effect until the summer sometime. But sometime this year, we will be a completely smoke-free town. You can't do it in any public space, uh, on the street, and that goes for vaping as well. Basically, only in your home or in a... Uh-huh completely open field you would be a- uh-huh. allowed to smoke or vape but in any confined space or in any public street or near any businesses etc cetera, etc cetera, it's all illegal that to me is the way that you could have gone with alcohol yes and yes. and maintained both the actual like good intentions of the movement but also allowed for the vices that people are going to have without creating this um you know black sure. market or whatever Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, that's, uh, I'm, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that we largely consider the anti-smoking PR campaign to be pretty successful, right? I mean, rates have dropped significantly. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, as a generation, I mean, and again, like vaping is a current thing, but the, like mm-hmm. the rise of vaping, if you look at the sheer numbers, the, the, the numbers are so much lower than smoking was in the seventies uh-huh. and the eighties, like for our uh-huh. older brothers and sisters or whatever, like that generation effectively all smoked through high school uh-huh. and into college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, totally. even my, like I got to college in 99 and from the first two or three years, 
everyone I knew smoked at least uh-huh. a little. And every time you'd leave class, you'd go immediately outside and there's a huge gang of people out there smoking. Right. Like that's right. just not a thing. And it hasn't been a right. thing for like a decade now. That's right. impressive that we did that as a society. It's hopeful yeah, yeah. to me that we could apply that same. See, this is the, this is the broader point, Megan, for this story about the Opelousas fires and your viral tweet. It gives me hope that when we shine a light and we catch the circumstances right, we can do things, big things, impressive things as a people. So like mm-hmm. our current impending climate disaster, <laughs> you know, like we've, uh-huh. we've got this ticking time bomb that is uh, a permanent change in the climate, which might make life impossible on this planet, period. Mm-hmm. I think we can still do something about that. Like, yes, yeah. it yeah, yeah, looks yeah, yeah. incredibly dire, but at some point, I think there will be a moment where if we all keep trying and if we all try to take our little opportunities, somebody's viral tweets, <laughs> you know, will <laughs> right. we'll finally get people to go, oh, we right. have to save the planet. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, you know, I think if if Christianity has given us anything, which I think it's given us a lot, but I think if it's, if we boil it down to one thing, it is. Christianity is a religion that encourages us to believe in a world we have not seen, to believe in this science fiction world that is a world of our own imagining. And we are not great at public imagination here in the United States anymore. You say anything and everybody says, well, that's you can't do it because that's not a thing you can do. You can't, can't do it. Common sense says you can't do it. Money says you can't do it. And we've sort of discouraged each other from dreaming of bigger and more interesting and different and more proactive things. And we got to stop that. And Christians certainly, and I don't know if this like comes from like the weird thing where we Protestants just can't change anything because that's the way it's always been done or what, but we need to give each other permission to, to imagine a different world. Part of that means just, you know, Imagining things like, hey, what if just everybody put $5 in this hat and we fixed up these black churches? You know, it doesn't always have to be big things. It doesn't always have to be the Green New Deal, though I am in favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's start <laughs> Let's start with some Opelousas churches. Let's, uh, let's do climate next. Uh, no, we're not going to do climate next. We're going to do Cancer Alley next, right? Isn't that what you yeah, decided? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Next comes Cancer Alley. Yep. St. James Parish. Right? So Thank yes, you. that's exactly that's that's right. I think you're right. Uh, here's here's what you can take away from this. First and foremost, share the good news with your friends. If you were at all part of this and and you shared the fundraiser, if you sent a few dollars, uh, Opelousas way, share the good news with your friends and your newsfeed too. Remind people that this got done and that they were a part of it, uh, and thank them. And for it was help. a crazy coalition of people who did it. It was absolutely bananas. It's like like the donors were like. Seth Myers, Megan Kelly, Mandy Moore, Ben Shapiro gave a thousand dollars. Ben Shapiro gave a thousand. I was like, I'm uh, gonna have to say thank you to Ben Shapiro. Yeah, and it's hurting yeah, yeah, my yeah. heart. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt, man. So, uh, so it's just all over the place. Chrissy Teigen and uh, and uh, oh, there were a couple other other. Yeah, Chrissy. Chrissy gave like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, she did. She did. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, That's Jake amazing. Tapper was in there. Um, lots of Audra McDonald. Lots of people. It was just, but it was just this coalition of people, really, really, really from every part of the political map. Like really, this time, uh, just coming together, and that is, 
a promise of something. So just something can be done. And I'm not saying that we're going to convince anybody to be right or, <laughs> or to be decent in general. But, but now and again, things can happen and we can build holy community in ways that we did not expect to do. Yeah, nope. Nobody's inviting Ben Shapiro to the cookout. <laughs> no, they better not. Goodness, they probably will because they're much better Christians than I am. Yeah, you're very. That's a very good point, actually. That's a very good point, actually. Maybe they will. I'm. I'm he's not invited to my cookout yet. Um, but but you know, honestly, look in your own life. Look around your own community. Look at your own church, your neighbor's church, especially even more so, and and say. What can we do this week? How can I help? How can I point out? How, first of all, how can I? Where, what hat can I throw five dollars in? But mm-hmm. then secondarily, how can I tell some other people about this hat that needs five dollars? <laughs> yeah, uh, how are you going to be the resurrection this week? What are you going to lift up and rise up? Amen. All right, and tell us. We'll we'll amplify it. Tell us on Twitter. Yes, yes. Tell that, us about it. Absolutely. Us. Let us know about it. And and speaking of letting us know, uh, thank you for a lot of the kind words. I've heard a lot of nice things from people that have been listening to the show, uh, mostly about how funny Megan is, which is the reason why I do this thing in the first place. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for uh, for getting involved. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, email us too if you'd like backsliding mm-hmm. to glory at gmail And specifically, if you are a, a theologian or a, a pastor or a a lay leader and you've got a topic you'd like to talk with us about we'd love to yeah. have some guests uh and we don't yeah. uh, we've got a lot of people in mind ourselves like hey we'd like to poke somebody and say hey would you like to talk but at the same like I've, <laughs> my home pastor for instance <laughs> said she can come on the show when she's retired <laughs> <laughs> i know my poor pastor <laughs> was like He's so sweet, but I think he was like, "Are you gonna get me in trouble you're with not, the Catholics?" You're not gonna ask me to come on, are you? Yeah, <laughs> we're no, in no. South Louisiana. Please be careful <laughs> what you say about a Catholic. <laughs> so. I love it. No, we're we're gonna we're gonna let our pastors shepherd their congregations. But if you if you would like to speak to us and and you have this the, particularly if you have some credentials like that, Megan and I are both uh, rabid Jesus lovers, but we we don't have those letters behind our name that Not uh, even that what? would give us that weight. So we we want <laughs> we want you we want your voices on the show as well, particularly clergy of color. If if you um, yeah. if you want to come on and and let us yeah. give you a little bit of a platform, we'd love to hear yeah, from yeah, you yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or LGBTQ so, yes, clergy. Absolutely. Just if you're, if well, you're hey, and preaching from the margins, folks. Specifically on this question that we discussed today, the separation, the divide between quote-unquote progressive Christianity and its, and its organizations and the progressive black church, and how can we heal some of those divides? And to, I'm most interested in ways that we can find community and work together even when we disagree on other things. So there are ways that a very conservative quote-unquote theological uh, African-American church can join with a very rabid progressive you know, mainline uh, evangelical church to fight on the issues of social justice, on criminal justice reform, to fight on the issues of income inequality, mm-hmm. uh, to fight on the issues of health care that we are, you know, literally this administration, folks, I don't, we don't try to get very political here, but they're trying to take folks' health care away on a daily basis. Yep. Um, yep. Churches yep. can get active on that no matter how we sit on the LGBTQ question. And Absolutely. I think there are ways to join and align and to use our numbers where we do agree and that will help us build community to understand each other better. Even if we don't change our minds necessarily on those questions where we disagree. Does that, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We want to be part of that. So thank you for letting us uh, hold a little ear space for you today. And hey, it is Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I'm so thankful for resurrection today. I'm thankful for you guys and thankful for you, Megan. Until we talk to you again, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we are backsliding to glory. If you know someone who would enjoy backsliding to glory, please share the show with them today and send us your comments and feedback backsliding to glory at gmail.com or find us on Twitter backslide to glory. <laughs>